Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. I was, was reflecting on this this week, and I remember how on the, the wall of my bedroom growing up hung a plaque, and, uh, and on this plaque was uh, a little child kneeling at the foot of a cross, and, uh, and underneath the, the child and the cross was an inscription that said, Brandon Christopher Lorenzon, baptized April 22nd, 1984. That plaque hung in my bedroom my entire childhood, and and every time I looked at it, it was a visual reminder of God's claim on my life. Every time I saw it, I was being reminded, "You you have received the sign and the seal of the covenant of grace. You you belong to Christ. When I was in middle school, I went to a conference with my youth leaders. We went to Chicago to this big megachurch, and I remember taking communion with thousands of people there, and it, it was that, in that moment that I remember that I, I really believed. I really believed it was true, not because my parents said it was true, but because, because I believed it was true. And I, I took that juice-stained plastic cup home with me, and I set it on my desk, and it, it sat there throughout my high school years as a reminder to me that Jesus loves me. I went off to college, I got married, I started a family, and I forgot about the plaque and the cup. Somewhere along the way, they were lost. And now I really wish that I still had them. There are several uh, false assumptions that people make about pastors. And one of those false assumptions is that if you're a pastor, that um, because you're a pastor, that means that your faith must be really strong. And pastors, you know, we, we have to stand up in front of people and so we have to project confidence and leadership. But do you know what the truth is? My faith is not strong. My faith is weak. I need visual reminders of God's grace in my life. John Calvin was one of the heroes of the Reformation. I mean, he has a whole brand of theology <laughs> named after him. You would think that if anyone was, uh, had a, you know, a strong faith, it would be him. And yet Calvin wrote, he said, our faith is slight and feeble, and it unless it be propped up on all sides and sustained by every means, it trembles, wavers, totters, and at last gives way. When it comes to church, sometimes we act like, you know, the real Christians are the ones who have it all together, and the strugglers are the ones who need help. Like the mature Christians are mature because they have strong faith, and the immature Christians are immature because they have weak faith. But what if that's not true? 
What if it's actually the opposite? What if the way to be strong is actually to declare your weakness? One time a father came to Jesus with his son who was demon-possessed. He had had seizures, uncontrollable seizures, his whole life. Uh, it It was a miracle that he was even alive. And this desperate father came to Jesus and, and said, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, Jesus, would you please heal my boy? Help. To which Jesus said, the, uh, the problem isn't my desire or my ability. It's not about if I can, can you? Do you believe? If you believe anything is possible. To which The father in Mark 9, 24, immediately, this father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. I have faith, Jesus, but it's weak. Help me. And Jesus, at that, cast out the demon and healed his son. Do you ever feel like that father? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know the Holy Spirit is at work in your life when you can admit that that's you every day. I believe. Help my unbelief. God knows that our faith is weak. That as Calvin said, that it needs to be propped up on all sides and sustained by every means. That is why he has given us the sacraments. Imagine this scenario. Imagine that, um, imagine that an alien came down from space, came to earth, and, uh, and sat in a worship service. And, uh, and this alien observed that these people called Christians, in their, their time where they're together, they, they do lots of things, but, but, but something unique that they do is they have these two rituals that they repeat over and over again. And, and he, he realizes that these rituals are important to them, that they matter because um, they have always the same form. I mean, they, they have some slight differences, but there's always water, and there's always bread, and there's always some kind of liquid made out of grapes. And the pastor always says the same words every time. And this alien looks at this and, and, and thinks, why do they do that? What's, what's the point? And so he turns to you and asks you, why do you do those things? What's the meaning of baptism and the Lord's Supper? What would you say? How would you answer him? Well, you might say, well, we do these things because Jesus told us to. And you'd be right. right? That would be a good reason, actually. But is there something more? What do they mean? Why has the Lord given them to us. What I want us to see this morning is that God has given us the sacraments as an answer to the cry of our hearts. I believe. Help my unbelief. The sacraments sustain, nourish, confirm, strengthen, and increase our weak faith. Calvin went on to say, he said, uh, the purpose of the sacraments is the assurance of salvation. Stability rather than instability. 
proof against doubt, a song of praise about the trustworthiness of God in contrast with the deceitfulness of man's heart, and a guarded inheritance in the midst of the dangers of this unstable life. It is out of the overflow of God's kindness that he has given us baptism and the Lord's Supper to help us in our unbelief. And especially in regard to questions that we ask. Three questions that we, we, we ask, either all of us have asked in the past, or we are asking in the present, or we will ask in the future. Is this really real? Am I really welcome? And can I really hope? God has given us the sacraments to strengthen our faith when we ask, is this really real? Am I really welcome? And can I really hope? So think about me, uh, think with me about that, uh, the first question, is this really real? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says that we walk by faith and not by sight. None of us, think about this, none of us have seen God. None of us have seen God, uh, the Father, none of us have seen Jesus, none of us have seen the Holy Spirit. We believe in biblical events that we have never seen, uh, the creation account, the exodus, um, Noah's ark, the crucifixion, the resurrection. And we believe in unseen spiritual realities like heaven and hell, forgiveness and justice. Have you ever just stopped and wondered, is this really real? Is this really real? I mean, it's kind of like the taboo question that you're not supposed to ask, right? You're not, you're not supposed to admit that you've really asked that question, but you have, and I have, right? Is this really real? I mean, you're not supposed to doubt. You're just supposed to believe. I... You do, do you remember the apostle, um, the disciple Thomas, right? Church history has uh, called him Doubting Thomas. Uh, I, I think Thomas gets a bad rap because there's a difference between the doubt of unbelief and the doubt of faith. And I think Thomas demonstrates the doubt of faith. Um, you remember with Thomas... The disciples had seen Jesus, they had seen the risen Lord, and they, they came to Thomas and they said, Thomas, we've seen our Lord, he's, he's alive. And what did Thomas say? I won't believe it until he's standing in front of me, until I can see the nail marks in his hands and I can put my hand in his side, in his open wound. I won't believe. Um, and, uh, and then Luke tells us, um, or John tells us what happened Next, it says, uh, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who is that? Who is that, those who have not seen and yet have believed? That's us. It's you. We walk by faith and not by sight, but that doesn't mean that faith is easy. 
All of us have Thomas in us because our faith is prone to be weak and frail because we are physical. We are flesh and blood. We crave tangible confirmation for what we believe. And just like Jesus condescended to Thomas after his resurrection to strengthen his faith, so he condescends to us today um, in the sacraments in order to strengthen our faith. In his kindness, God has attached his grace to physical elements, things that we can touch and hold and feel. The sacraments are outward signs of inward realities. St. Augustine called them visible forms of an invisible grace. You know, it's one thing to read the word and to hear the promises of God. It's another thing to hold them. It's another, it's another thing to hold it in your hand, taste it on your lips, feel it washing over you. Leonard Van Der Zee writes, he says, what my mind doubts, my mouth tastes as the Lord's goodness. When my faith falters, my fingers can touch the truth. The sacraments do not merely make the word visible, they make it tasty, aromatic, tactile. They appeal to all the senses. Both word and sacrament bring Christ to our souls by faith through the Holy Spirit. But in the sacraments, we get Christ in a way that is particularly suited to our humanity. You know, think about a phone conversation. When you're talking to someone on the phone, you can hear the words that they're saying, but you can't see them, or you can't, you can't see their body language, which, which is so uh, much a part of our communication. Um, if you will, the sacraments are God's body language. Calvin called the sacraments God's promises to us as painted in a picture from life. They are handles for our faith to hold on to. You know, it, 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 uh, it runs the risk of, of uh, being dogmatic, but I'll just tell you, this is why I personally like tearing actual bread at communion time. Not because it's special or because it's more holy than if we didn't do that, um, but because it reminds me that what I believe is real. As, as real as the crumbs that fall on the floor. I love it when in baptism the water uh, pours down off of the recipient's head and onto the stage so that somebody has to come up here with a towel and mop it up so that this pastor doesn't bite it during the sermon. It's real. I remember the first time um, we, uh, you know, when COVID happened and, uh, you know, we, sh- we, we shut down uh, worship, uh, you know, in-person worship. We first, first, you know, some time, um, for an even longer time, we didn't have communion. And, uh, and so we decided that uh, uh, finally we would do drive-through communion, which is just still, I just can't believe we did that. <laughs> I mean, it's just so weird. Um, but, uh, but we did drive-through communion, right? And, uh, and so people came, I mean, who had not had communion for a long time. Um, and uh, and so uh, they came through. We had, we had gloves on and masks and face shields. And the first time we did it, you know, we were trying to take all these precautions. And so we had these little cups 
with, uh, with the juice in it. And then on top of the cup was like another seal with these two little like biscuits. And, uh, and you had to like peel off and it was really awkward and people were like spilling the juice and trying to get to the bread. And, and in the midst of all of that just awkwardness and weirdness, um, people wept. I remember people weeping um, because they had been isolated. They had been isolated from others, and I think that was part of it. But you know what? I think it was also because they had been isolated from the sacraments. Because we're not meant to go long periods of time without these physical reminders of God's grace. Um, God is so kind to give us the sacraments to strengthen and nourish us when our faith is weak. And we need to be reminded Everything we believe is real. Second, in our unbelief, not only do we ask, is this, is this really real, but also, am I really welcome? Am I really welcome? Am I welcome in God's family? Am I welcome at God's table? Our faith is weak because we are sinners, and we live with the guilt and the shame of the things that we have done. We wonder, will God welcome me, right? Will he, will he forgive me again for the same thing? God knows that our faith is weak at believing and accepting his grace. So he has given us the sacraments. You know, the Bible calls the sacraments signs and seals. A sign is something, it points to something. Right? You're driving down the road and you see a sign that says Disney World ahead. Right? The sign is pointing to something. Well, what do the sacraments point to? The sacraments point to Christ. They point to his saving work. Right? Baptism points to Jesus' cleansing us of our sins, of his uniting us with himself. The Lord's Supper points to his death, right? The, the, his body broken for us, his blood shed uh, for us. Um, the sacraments are signs of the gospel. They are signs and they are also seals. In the New Testament, a seal was, was um, people would, when they would write a letter or send a correspondence, they would take wax, right? And they would heat up the wax and they would take a stamp or a signet ring, ring and they would they would press it into the wax and it would leave um, the seal of the person who was sending it so that you know this is authentic, right? This carries the authority of the one who is sending it. The sacraments are seals. They carry God's authority and authenticity. Calvin said the sacraments are seals of the goodwill that God feels toward us. Love that. They are seals of the goodwill that God feels toward us. They assure you, yes, you are welcome. Yes, you are forgiven. Yes, there is grace here for you. Martin Luther was another hero of the Reformation. And uh, Martin Luther would struggle with, with spiritual depression. And these waves of darkness would come over him and, and, uh, and he would hear the voices of doubt in his head that said, God doesn't love you. Your sins can't be forgiven. 
And when those episodes would come, Luther would shout into the darkness, I have been baptized. I have been baptized. I've received the seal of the covenant of grace. Um, George Herbert, Herbert was uh, born about 50 years after Luther died. He lived during the time of uh, William Shakespeare. And um, he was a pastor, but he also wrote poetry and, uh, um, and, and, and wrote these proverbial sayings. In his sermons, he'd use them. Many of them we still use today. Uh, things like, um, whose houses of glass must not throw stones at another, or the eye is bigger than the belly, or his bark is worse than his bite. Half the world knows not how the other half lives. All of those are sayings from George Herbert that we still recognize um, today. Uh, Herbert only lived to be 40. And um, when he was dying, he collected all of his poetry, which had never been published, and sent them to a friend and told his friend, read this, and if you think that this can help anybody, if you think this can be of any help um, to people and encouragement to people, then publish it. But if you don't think it is, then burn it. And we're really grateful to that man that he, he didn't burn it, that it was published, because George Herbert is considered England's greatest religious poet. His poetry would have been read by the men who wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith that we've been studying, and it would have influenced them. And in particular, one of his most famous ones they would have read is, is called Love, Love Number Three. It's in your bulletin. Uh, I want to read it to you. Love in this poem is, um, represents God. Right? So it says, Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. What's wrong? Why are you drawing back? What do you lack? A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but, but I've marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? Okay, well, my dear, then I will serve. Right? You've been in that place before where God says, don't you know I've forgiven you? Say, okay, okay, well, I'll be your servant, God. I'll, 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 I'll earn it. I'll work for it. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. George Herbert's expressing that feeling that we all feel, right? I, the unkind, the ungrateful, I'm not worthy to be at your table. Just, I'll just be a servant. Jesus says, no. No, sit down. Sit down and eat. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul gives instruction on taking the Lord's Supper. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment 
on himself. And the question that people ask about those verses is, what does it mean to eat and drink the cup in an unworthy manner? How are you supposed to examine yourself and what conclusion are you supposed to come to so that you don't drink judgment upon yourself, but you actually receive grace? The question is, what does Paul mean by unworthy? And I love the theologian G.C. Burkauer. He says this, he says, we do not come to the Lord's Supper to testify there to our worthiness, but with the acknowledgement that we seek our life in Jesus Christ. And that without him, we lie in the midst of death. The worthiness demanded by the Lord's Supper consists then in acknowledging one's unworthiness. The worthiness demanded by the Lord's Supper consists in acknowledging one's unworthiness and in knowing that the Supper has been instituted for the unworthy who proclaim in the Lord's Supper the death of Christ, not their righteousness. Do you hear what he's saying? To be worthy of the Lord's Supper is actually to declare your unworthiness. It is not to come proclaiming your righteousness, but proclaiming the death of Christ. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, there are going to be days in your life where you are confident in the grace of Christ. I mean, you really believe that God loves you deep down in your heart, and you would testify to that all day long. But then there are going to be other days where you really struggle to believe. Am I really welcome at his table? Does he really love me? Am I really forgiven? And God's gift to you is water and bread and wine to remind you that he has cleansed you. He has shed his blood for you. He, your sins were paid for at the cross. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are welcome. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. If you walk into Publix without money, what will you walk out with? Nothing. Come to church without any goodness, without anything to which would, you would say to God, I've earned this. You walk out with grace. You walk out with his favor and his love. Free grace is a gift. It cannot be taken, but it can always be received. You know, you think about in baptism, you don't baptize yourself. You are baptized. You receive the waters of baptism. When you come to the Lord's Supper, you're going to come and you're going to hold your hands like this. You're going to come empty-handed. Rather than coming to take the bread, you're going to come and receive it. Somebody's going to place it in your hand. Um, The unworthy are welcomed into God's family, and they are welcomed at his table because of grace and grace alone. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because of the weakness of our faith, we ask, is this really real? Am I really welcome? And then third, can I really hope? Can I really hope? 
Hebrews 1 verse 11 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What is our great hope as Christians? Our great hope as Christians is that one day Jesus will come back and he will completely fix everything that is broken in us and in our world. That one day he will, as Tolkien wrote, he will one day make everything sad come untrue. That is the great hope of Christians. But our faith wavers with regard to this hope when the darkness feels like it's winning. Our faith wavers um, when you receive difficult news from the doctor, right? when your child won't talk to you, when your spouse asks for a divorce, when a psychotic leader unleashes war on a smaller country and no one will do anything about it, when stock markets collapse, when people walk into grocery stores and shoot it up and kill others. We're waiting, waiting for the Lord Jesus to come back and make all things new, but the darkness feels like it's winning, and our faith wavers. Um, in Exodus 17, uh, there's a neat story about Moses and how uh, he sends Joshua and uh, his troops into battle against Amalek, and Moses and Aaron and Hur go up on top of a hilltop overlooking the battle. And while the fighting's going on, Moses holds up the staff of God with his hands. And as long as he holds up the staff, the Joshua and the people of God are winning the battle, winning the fight. And whenever he lets down his hands, they are losing. And so um, the passage says that, that Moses' hands grew weak, right? And the, the, the people of God were suffering. And, uh, and so Aaron and her get Moses to sit on a rock and they stand one on each side of him and they hold up Moses' hands for him, his arms with the staff, all day long until the sun goes down and the people of God are victorious. When our, when our faith grows weary, when you don't think that you can stand and wait for the victory of the Lord any longer, the sacraments are there to hold you up, to sustain you until the Lord comes and brings his victory. And especially the Lord's Supper that we're going to partake of this morning. When we partake of the bread and the wine, we do so until the Lord comes. The, the supper is an anticipation of what is to come. It's a foretaste of the future. People like to argue about how is the world going to end. And some people say, well, the, the world is going to end, you know, in this big bang. Like, like maybe it's going to be nuclear holocaust. We're all just going to kind of blow each other up. That's how the world's going to end. And other people say, no, the world is going to end in this just whimper. The sun is going to go out and everything's going to get cold and dark and uh, everything's just going to die, and the world's just going to end in a whimper. But do you know what Christians believe? We don't believe that the world's going to end in a bang. And we don't believe that the world is going to end in a whimper. We believe the world is going to end with the laughter of a wedding feast. 
that there's going to be joy and dancing at a wedding, at a feast, when Jesus comes back to make all things new. One time the disciples, um, they had lost hope and um, they were discouraged because um, their, uh, their leader had died and um, they hadn't yet seen him yet. They had heard rumors that, that maybe he was risen from the dead, but they, they hadn't seen him yet. And um, so, so two of them were walking down the road um, going to a place called Emmaus. And, and as they were walking there, uh, the passage says Jesus came uh, and started walking with them. But they didn't realize that it was him. And Jesus said to them, why are you, why are you sad? What's wrong? Why are you, why are you so distraught? And, uh, and they were like, who's this guy? I mean, have you been living under a rock? Haven't you heard that this man, Jesus, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought that he was going to, um, you know, defeat our enemies and bring in the kingdom of God. And, but he was crucified and he's dead. And now we don't know where his body is. And uh, so Jesus is like, okay. And he's walking along with them. And it says that uh, Jesus began to give them like the best Bible lesson you've ever had in the history of the world. He tells them uh, of uh, the whole Old Testament, how the, old, the whole thing was about him. And, uh, and they're, they're walking along the road getting this lesson, and, and, uh, and they're enjoying it so much that they say, please, like, stay with us a little bit longer and come, you know, come, come uh, eat with us. And so they sit down, and uh, the passage says that, that, that Jesus um, took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And in, in Luke, where it says that those, those four words are the exact same four words used in the Lord's Supper. He took, he, bro- he blessed, he broke, and he gave. And in that moment, their eyes were opened, and they realized it was him. And then he vanished from their sight. And they said, they said oh, didn't our hearts burn when we were walking on the road with him and he was telling us all these things? They... They believed in Jesus, they were hearing about Jesus, but it wasn't until they experienced him in the bread, right? It wasn't until they experienced him in the sacrament that their eyes were really fully opened and they saw him. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that when you come to the Lord's table, that maybe you've heard about Jesus for a long time, maybe you've even believed in him for a long time, but that your eyes would be opened in a new and fresh way and you would see him afresh um, and that it would move you and change you. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Is this really real? It is. Am I really welcome? You are. Can I really hope? You can. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, your body and your blood. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come now and that you would um, work through these elements to unite us to Christ to, um, so that we might receive real grace, that we might um, commune with our Lord. Jesus, help us. 
Holy Spirit, help us to believe, to believe that, that it really is real, and we really, we really are welcome here at your table. And as we take it and remember, remembrance of you, that you really are coming again to make all things new. Thank you for propping us up when we are weak, giving us strength when we need it in our faith. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.